Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who came, saw, and saw it again. Until they ran out of wood. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. Yeah, baby. It's show number 430 for April 9th, 2018. On today's show, we're talking about cheap chisels, the worst woodworking fads, the woodsmith shop, end grain tabletops, case miters, and cherry alternatives. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Remember I mentioned a that phlegm problem? Yeah, it is a lot of stuff, actually. We're, that's what I like about the second show. We can just pack in a ton of email questions. Uh, this recording method makes that possible, which is cool. Then we should do it. We should start packing in like our own emails, like that people send us. Just to save us time from answering them. There we go. I like that. <laughs> it's not a bad idea now that you mention it. Uh, I should mention we do have a sponsor today. Our good friends at Bruso Hardware, and they've got a sale coming up, and I want to tell you about it. They say spring into big savings with Bruso's Knife Hinge Sale. Knife hinges are great. You guys like knife hinges? I know you do. I like knife hinges. I, I, I have a lot, of, I have a lot of reason to use them, but I, I have them. They're pretty fantastic. I love Mark them. Mark Spagnuolo used them once, so I, then I, I had to put them on everything. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's my influence. I have knife hinges on my cutting board. Yep. <laughs> uh, so from April 9th through April oh. 16th, uh, all of their center and offset pivot hinges will be 40% off when you order online at bruso.com. Seriously? Yeah, 40% oh. off. Bruso's knife hinges are perfect for aspiring furniture and cabinet makers this is a limited time offer and you do not want to miss it uh, sign up for their newsletter or visit the website that's bruso.com slash sale for complete details sale is good on web orders only and i'm going to double check something here because i know i got an email from bruso where is it hold on hang on hang on so i wanted to double check with them because you know how we have a coupon code and i said you guys you know 40 percent off you can't possibly let this combine with other things, right? <laughs> right? That wouldn't make any sense. What are you going to tell me, Mark? What are you going to tell me? Come on. Have come I got on. something for you? So Ali at Brusso says, want to double check or went to double check the orders on last year's stop hinge sale and we actually allowed Wood Talk code on top of the 40% off. So Woo! let's keep it the same for Woo! next month's sale as well. So use the code Wood Talk and you'll get that additional discount on these 40% off hinges. That's insanity, my friends. That's crazy. Need for knife hinges? Now you do. Yes. But I, I can't say no. Stock up if you're gonna. I mean, I actually is it. I wonder if there's a limit in how many you could purchase. That might be something to look into. Oh, but, I'm gonna buy so many that I'll be reselling them. <laughs> yeah. Showing up on eBay. Macromona.com <laughs> slash Bruso hinges. That'd be nice. Oh, we have um, to wait till April 9th. I don't want to wait that long. I'll forget by then. It's, it's totally worth it. If you're going to stock up, this is the time to do it because you never know. Sometimes you just do a project and you go, dang, I wish I had those. And now it's full price. So do not wait. Jump on that sale. It's a very, very good Siri thing. to remind me on April 9th. Do it. April 9th through April 16th. That's uh, once again, bruso.com. All right. Let's uh, jump into our stuff here. We've got one voicemail from Nathaniel and then we've got a bunch of emails we'll answer. So let's kick it off with the voicemail. Hi, Mark, Matt, and Shannon. This is Nathaniel from Seattle. 
Um, I just have a question. I'm going to be building my first cabinet project, which is going to be a very large kitchen pantry, about 40 inches wide and probably seven and a half feet tall. So I have two questions uh, specifically about this. First of all, <clears throat> I'm hoping to use cherry. However, um, I'm concerned about the financial impact of using cherry. So my question is, is if you have any alternatives uh, or alternative woods to cherry, I was thinking of using poplar and stain, but I know that poplar isn't uh, a very hard wood. So uh, my first question is, any other um, alternatives to cherry that would be hard enough and have some beautiful color in it, um, hopefully on the red scale? My second question is, I want to build it um, with a lot of storage in the doors, and so I think the doors will end up being quite heavy with cans and such. So um, just regarding building these, it's going to be in kind of the shaker mission style, so I'm hoping you might be able to give me some ideas of how to build those doors to be very strong and robust. Um, I don't have a jointer, so I don't think I'll be using... Um, solid wood panels. I'll probably have to use veneered plywood. So I don't know if bridle joints would be the way to go or if I'm just overthinking it. So um, I absolutely love this show and I hope to hear from you guys soon. Thanks a lot. Bye. All right. So alternatives to cherry and strong door construction for something like a pantry. Uh, I, I will throw out alder as an option, as an alternative for cherry. I, I've used that in the past. It's fairly inexpensive and has a similar, it's not the same, but kind of a similar look to cherry in terms of the grain pattern. And the color is kind of at a similar starting point. You know how cherry, especially like freshly milled cherry, kind of has a little bit of a salmon color. And then over time, it gets a little redder, a little bit more browns, uh, just turns into a beautiful color. Um, Alder doesn't quite do that, but that's where you can stain it to kind of go into that direction. So alder can very well substitute for cherry if done properly. Uh, it's probably a little softer, you know, and uh, I find it very easy to work. Uh, it's very light and uh, you may not get the durability, but I don't know that I'd have a problem. I mean, most of the doors in my house and the built-ins in my house, as well as uh, trim, like the, the, the guy redid everything in this house and it's all stained alder. And it's holding up great as far as like millwork and, and doors in this place. So um, I would definitely go with Alder. I agree. They call it poor man's cherry. It just, I, did he say where he's from? Did I miss that? Because Seattle. Alder is thin on the ground Seattle. out east. All right. So he's out west. So you shouldn't have a problem finding Alder. The only problem I see <clears throat> is if he's going to use plywood for the panels, he's going to have to match it. So... I mean, maybe you can find alder plywood. You can. can, you, can I don't you find I mean, alder plywood out there. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I think it's going to depend on the particular place he shops and whether they stock it. But yeah. I have purchased uh, alder panels in the past. Okay. I mean, I know it's possible. I just you don't want to like custom lay up a panel because there goes your budget. At least in Phoenix, um, it wasn't a custom order. It was common enough. Uh, alder was extremely common building material for homes. Right. That the plywood was readily available. Okay. Fair enough. Um, and that's, that's the only thing is you be prepared between the solid wood and the plywood to have to do a little bit of color matching anyway at the finishing stage. So as similar as you can keep those, um, you know, those, those species from, from solid wood to plywood, the easier that color matching is going to be. Hey Matt, if you were building giant pantry doors that had to hold weight, what, what kind of joinery would you employ for that? I would use Brusso knife hinges. That, 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 uh, That's what I say. I put the <laughs> knife hinges on there. You don't even see them. They get a little bit of color on top from the brass, yeah. you know? Do you know little you can actually get those for 40% off in a sale coming on April 9th? Oh, man. Plus an this additional is, discount for the Wood Talk coupon code. That's amazing. This is going to be crazy. This is going to be a run on hinges. So you and I were talking about an upcoming guild project being a tool chest. So I have to oh, yeah. imagine that what we talked about this week. We did that talk about week, that. Huh? Yes. Oh boy. Uh, if, if you're doing something like that, you're talking about a very heavy door. If you're doing a, a tool chest with a, a door built for storing things on the door itself. So yeah. I imagine that's kind of in a similar vein. So if, if you were doing a, a little bit of a larger scale, you know, what kind of joinery would you employ? Uh, kind of, I think in, well, I guess it depends on how deep you want the door to be mm -hmm. for this pantry. If it wants to be like a flat door, or uh, on the tool chest, it's probably more like a deep one, yeah. I guess. So the pieces will be turned on their side as opposed to on their face. So when you're looking at the front, you see the edge instead of the long face. Um, anything with a lot of you know, glue surface. Um, so if you're doing a traditional door style, Morrison tenon, bridle joint is uh, good as well. Um, yeah, any of those standard ones, I think, would just fine. 
That's a good thing about them is they're pretty damn strong to begin with. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm trying to think of like, is there anything that would be even better than that? Nah, I don't, I don't think so. It's pretty typical, and those things can hold quite a bit. Mm-hmm. There's a reason doors have been made using mortise and tenon joinery for 500 years. I mean, you could you could pin them or draw more if you really want to go crazy. There you go. Uh, I give that's all I got. <laughs> I think it's reasonable. Yeah, I don't think he has to get nuts with it. I mean, look at the commercial ones, like ones that you can go go to Home Depot and look at the pantry doors that have storage in them. They're probably made with like the tongue and groove cardboard cutter things, yeah. whatever. So their tenon lengths only three eighths of an inch long or whatever, however long they are. Yeah. Whatever you're gonna make them stronger regardless. A lot of the door manufacturers that I sell to, they use loose tenons. Because yeah, it's all go. CNC work, you know, and they just put a big honking loose tenon in there. Yeah. Uh, you know, live from the chat room, it's a good question, relevant since we keep harping on the hinges. Uh, JB Alexander asks, what is the benefit of a knife hinge? Who wants to, who wants to grab that one? They're because nearly invisible and they're cool. cool and it swings. The door swings so cool. And you, there's no, there's no um, hardware on the, I guess, was it the style side? Right. Yeah. 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 So it's no abo- above and below the door. All you see is little tiny dots of brass on the top and bottom over the pivot point. And the so door, very minimal. The door swings so smoothly. Oh yeah. Like oh, effortlessly. Yeah. Uh, because it's it's like all of your weight is basically being pushed into the pins of this hinge and the way it supports it, it's just incredibly strong and so, so smooth. Uh, so, yeah. And it's just elegant as heck. I'm just thinking about them now. Right? Even, so you you want to break, Matt? You want to take a few minutes of yourself? I'm going to do a few minutes over here. <laughs> i got to go look at my hinges. Yeah, go check them out. Doors. Sounds like a good idea. Uh, all right, so let's move into a bunch of uh, emails that we have here. So the first one is from Andrew Reuter who says, is it worth sharpening up a $5 hardware store set of chisels and using them as the main chisels in the shop asking for a friend? (laughs) I love that. Uh, I say absolutely. Yes. Because if you have these chisels or access to them and maybe they're $5, maybe they're $10, whatever it is, they're cheap. Why not try it? Right. Uh, If you don't know, it's one of those things where if you haven't touched excuse me, a hundred dollar chisel or an $80 chisel. Uh, why not sharpen these up and see what they can do? Because there's nothing better. I think of this like with bandsaw blades as well. Well, just about any blade, uh, you know, on a power tool side of things, if you never tried something cheap and eventually ended up with a dull blade, uh, how do you even know how to gauge what a forest woodworker two is doing for you? Uh, you, you like, I, I really think it's important to know what those cheaper things do and how they perform to understand why it might be worth investing more money in. Uh, so you got someone like, um, Todd Clippinger is a good example. He's always proud of his cheap chisels. <laughs> I've seen, <laughs> That's, true. That's true. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. He's very proud of his, what's he have like a set of buck brothers or something like yeah. that that he's been using for, you know, probably decades and gets good service out of. So, um, you know, you might talk to people like us, the three of us, we may not be the best influence with this stuff because we tend to buy tools in some cases because we want to, like not because we have to. So when you're in that position, you tend to buy nicer things than you truly need or or possibly things that give you more creature comfort benefits than you actually need to survive. So I would say, why not try it? Go get those chisels, learn to sharpen because that's kind of 90% of the chisel game in the first place. Um, learn to sharpen them and see how they perform and find their limitations. And then maybe someday you'll be ready to spend a little bit more and get a higher scale set, but at least you'll be able to say, Hey, this was worth the money. You know, you'll know for yourself, but if you never even try those $5 chisels, you'll never have that uh, point of reference to, to base your opinion on. Just be prepared to spend a lot of time sharpening. That's yeah. That's, that's where I was going with that. Those $5 chisels. (laughs) Sure. Sure. You're going to get really good at sharpening. I think most of the time, the thing with those $5 chisels is you're going to kind of fail in the edge retention department. Mm-hmm. So you're going to find yourself sharpening a lot more often than someone with something with uh, better steel in it. But guess what? You're going to be pretty damn good at sharpening. Yeah. Well, it'll be nice. It all the time. Well, you get, I think one of the best parts is you get one of those, I don't know, let's just say a Lee Nielsen chisel. And that thing comes in and you go to, to lap the back. And you realize like a few strokes over 8,000 grit yeah. is like about all it takes. And you go, oh, okay. So that's, that's how it could be. I didn't realize I didn't, you know, need to start with a cinder block first to wear it down and then progress from there. So 
Yeah. Oh yeah. At least yeah. It, I, mean, I, I think it's, it's important it's to funny know. because over the years, like I, I have Lee Nielsen chisels. I've used them for years, but then I started acquiring some vintage ones, frankly, because they just looked cool mm-hmm. <laughs> and getting like really long pairing chisels or really wide chisels. Sometimes the only way you can do that is with vintage. So the Matt's point about the steel, yeah, the older vintage stuff, it's not the same cryogenically treated, you know, magic alloy that gives you this incredible <laughs> edge retention. Um, so I just have to sharpen more often. <laughs> I mean, and I love the feel of my vintage chisels. There's something very sweet about that, you know, quote, obsolete steel yeah. um, that makes them super easy to sharpen. And, you know, in most instances, I'm using them as pairing chisels, so I'm not pounding on it with a mallet. Yeah. So the edge retention is perfectly fine. But, yeah, if the if the net result is you have to sharpen more, you just get really efficient at sharpening. And that's only going to make you, you know, so much happier in the long run anyway. Cool. That's probably one of the best skills to have as a woodworker anyway, being able to Karaoke. sharpen those things. Hey, that too. Okay, that's like for like <laughs> after hours maybe. <laughs> woodworking after party. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also a huge, to go on the opposite, like end of the spectrum, it's a huge um, stumbling point if people haven't learned how to sharpen properly. So whether they're using chisels, marking knives, uh, any bladed thing that's, you know, sharpenable by hand, if they miss out on that, those tools are only going to perform so well for so long. And then frustration sets in because you can't get the performance you had when it was brand new. Yeah. And that goes back to your point of not knowing what a sharp thing is like to use. Right. So you don't have that 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 scale of is this sharp or is this just the way it is? Yep. Which yep. is it's interesting because and I I post what was that a couple weeks ago when I posted a video on Instagram of me doing some like end grain pairing. Mm-hmm. Um, just really simple across the end grain, just chipping away pieces, just pairing across there, no problem. Like it's butter. That chisel wasn't even that sharp, but everyone's like, "Wow, this chisel's so sharp." I'm like, "No, nah, I haven't sharpened this thing for a while. It's got kind of a jagged edge already." But yeah, so it kind of makes me wonder, like, what are these? What is everybody <laughs> using that's worse than this? <laughs> well, maybe they're using that new serrated edge we were talking about. Yeah, yes, right. there you go. <laughs> yeah, the serrated. I edge don't know if chisel. I should admit this, but I, in the process of cleaning up epoxy from around that exploded table I made before, um, I used one of my lesser chisels not my japanese chisel uh i used one of my lesser chisels to do that and it was sacrificial because i knew there was no way to get around doing the damage i was going to do as i pushed the chisel into a steel pin repeatedly and essentially created this gorgeous serrated edge on my chisel which now has to be it's sitting on the side waiting to be (laughs) reground to fix it uh but you know sometimes you make a, a you make a sacrificial choice to make that happen what are you going to yeah, do? I say that every time I watch one of your videos. But I'm bum. You don't watch my videos. What are you talking about? Yeah, that's true. What am I talking about? <laughs> don't lie. Uh, all right, Matt, you're up. Again? Yep. Did I just talk in the last show? Yeah, you did, but you know, ah, you're getting this paid. This from William. <laughs> says, what in your own opinions is the worst trend or fad in woodworking since you started? This can be a style of furniture, a tooling trend, a particular finishing process, whatever just let the hate you flow out of you. It's therapeutic. <laughs> <laughs> let's get angry. I like this. All right. So let's each pick one. If we can, if you can think of something, we're not hating on anything. Everything's great. Everybody's happy. Who cares? But pocket holes are fad. No, they've been around way yeah. too long to be a fad. What? Uh, what did you pocket. say? Pocket holes. Pocket holes. Oh, okay. They've been around way too long and there are way too many people who crap on them and who have been crapping on them for years for that to well, even be considered a fad. That's kind of like the thing, like crapping on pocket holes. Crapping that's on the fad. Crapping on them is a fad. Itself, it's yeah. crapping on them. <laughs> that is the cool thing to do, apparently. Disrespect in pocket holes. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Matt, you want to go first or you need time to think? Um, disrespecting pocket holes is my one thing, but I can try to think of something else. So you go, I guess. There you go. Okay, go ahead. Christopher Schwartz. Oh, oh, that's interesting. And and it, let me clarify. <laughs> I love Chris. I, I have met Chris on many occasions. Oh, love the guy. Man. Great sense of humor. Highly respect the man. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think Chris will probably agree with me. The cult of Schwartz <laughs> is the biggest woodworking fad that I just, 
you know, and, and hey, his stuff is fantastic. The workbench book defined all of our workbenches. For sure. But let's get over it already. For God's sake. <laughs> let's move on. So lately, viceless workbenches. And I think it's cool. I discovered that working, doing my milling with just a stop and not a vice has been has been a very big thing for me. It's been a major improvement in how I mill boards. But now there's all this stuff, and now Chris has got a new book coming out that that further goes down that rabbit hole. And it's not that. It's the turf war that comes up after that. <laughs> it's the badge of honor because I used a viceless workbench. It's the looking down your nose because somebody happens to install a leg vice or a tail vice on their bench. And this is all spun up out of the cult of Schwarz. And, and, and I think this is how you know you're doing something right, right? When half the people hate you, you know, if everybody loves what you're doing, you're probably not doing it right. Chris has done a great job at polarizing people, but he has also done a great job of creating raving lunatic fans that will like back him to the to everything he says. And Chris is, is, is an eccentric guy, right? He loves the fact that now, you know, now that he's free from the, formal publishing world, he's able to explore what he really, really interests him. We all have those things, but he's got this incredible persona that he's Oprah. And like, we've said that before when Chris yeah. says, here's the tool, suddenly the website crashes. It's no longer available anymore. So now that Chris has been allowed to explore his own, you know, passion and, and, uh, um, staked furniture and, um, campaign furniture, basically any book that he's done, this is kind of outlier type stuff. Well, now it's become like the only thing. Like I see staked furniture everywhere. I see campaign furniture everywhere. It's like, good God, people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and the first line in Chris's anarchist tool chest book is disobey me. And yet everyone just marches blindly along the guy (laughs) and lockstep. So again, no disrespect to Chris. I love what he does, but I think it's funny how he's created a fad and people are like, there is no other way. There is no other way to build a workbench. If you put a vice on it, you're a lesser human. No, it's funny. So um, wh- what's this viceless thing? Maybe I'm living in a hole, but I don't even know what you're talking about. Those Hansel guys are just crazy. Like you're They're in your, own that's thing. in its own little world. So in a nutshell, like literally just the workbench with no vices. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the technically the Nicholson style bench with the wider aprons, you know, that you can use hold fast and stuff on the aprons to attach your boards on the edge. Well, then Chris started ex- examining the Roman workbench and like much older style of workbenches mm-hmm. where, you know, th- there was no vice. Nobody so it's was, like, like friction work holding and, and things like that. Yeah. You're working against a stop. Okay. Um, and in his latest book in genius mechanics, he's got some other things where there's like a notch using a wedge and you can put boards in that. Um, uh, Mike Seamson came out with a video, the naked woodworker where he uh, built a workbench that. that was entirely viceless. Mm-hmm. It uses a planing stop. It uses hold fasts and battens. Um, and it's, it's incredibly effective. I will give it that. But at the same time, when I'm sawing tenons, you're going to have to pry my leg vice out of my cold dead hands. That thing is <laughs> awesome. And I have, I have used viceless methods to saw tenons. I built a workbench. I built a viceless workbench for the orientation semester of, of the hand tool school. But it was also specifically designed that you could throw a front vice on there if you wanted to. And I built that bench and I cut tenons and things without using vices and, you know, just clamping things to like a post or a vertical upright or something like that. And now it's become this thing and we're seeing viceless workbenches everywhere. And it's just silly because, you know, well, look at it this way. It's the same um, argument people throw at me all the time. Well, you know, the Thomas Chippendale would have used a Festool Domino if he had it. You know, he would have mm-hmm. used a table saw if he had it. You know, I'm OK, fine. I, I'm not. I don't know. You asked Thomas Chippendale. He <laughs> smells pretty bad right now. So I'll call him that. when we're done here. <laughs> right. Oh. Right. 1-800-CHIPPENDALE. See who shows up. Hopefully hey, it's Chris oh. Hey, dude, you're a lot better looking than I thought you'd be. Sorry. <laughs> but the, it's the same thing. Like the reason that a lot of these older workbenches didn't have these vices was it was really difficult to make a screw for a vice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not impossible, but am I going to do that? Is the country joiner or the cabinet maker and, you know, off in the country somewhere going to spend the time to do this when all he can do is, you know, work up against a stop or, um, you know, body weight is a very effective vice. Sometimes just sit on the board and saw it. Um, but now 
it's really easy to go out and buy a vice at Home Depot or blow a whole bunch of money. Not blow. That's the wrong way. Spend a bunch of money on a Benchcraft <laughs> Invest, you mean? Invest. Thank you. There I don't you want to say blow a whole bunch of money because <laughs> Benchcraft and stuff is, is awesome. <clears throat> but, you know, we've got all, this, all of these tools, all these companies making great vices. So use one. They are fantastic. Interesting. You know, it, the people making a statement by saying, I'm, I work on a viceless workbench. Yeah. With my pinky out. Because I need that to hold the work. And it's funny because it traces back to Christopher Schwartz. And that's what, so I'm throwing Chris under the bus. And really what it is, it's just, you know, I love the scholarly investigation that he does. I love his style of writing, but I just think it is so funny how he creates these, like, this is the only way to do it. And Chris would never say that. Never once has he written that. In fact, he said just the opposite. Disobey me. But, you know, nope, nope. It's going to be a viceless workbench or nothing. Yeah, but let's think this is a little bit of a weird logic problem. If you tell someone, disobey me. Right. By obeying you, they are disobeying you. (laughs) Yeah, right. So it's very confusing. It's a little circular. My mind is blown. Yeah. So what you're saying is Chris is a jerk. That's what it's coming down to. <laughs> I think Chris is a really nice jerk. Chris has, um, he, he's incredibly insightful and he makes some things that, that should be obvious that aren't obvious. He has a way of bringing those out and then you go, Oh geez. Okay. That makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, and I think he has a very authoritative tone in his opinions. He's learned He, he writes well, he speaks well. And I think that leads to people, you know, following what he says, like it's gospel and are, you know, 100%, uh, even, even if it's, he's telling you use your brain and, and take this as a, maybe a data point, uh, people take it verbatim and it's just his delivery. You know, it's the way he does things. I mean, we've all done it. You have a Rubo workbench. I have a Rubo. It worked bench. on me <laughs> for sure. I, I only have one cause Mark has one. That's right. Yeah, that's true. See, you're, you're like the second level of that. Well, that, that yeah, brings me go. sort of into my, what I would call, I don't know if I would call it a fad, but it's, I guess we're just complaining about stuff at this point. Right. So let's, let's, oh, I like this episode. Yeah. Let's just keep complaining. I think one of the, the best and also worst things to happen to woodworking. And I guess it's kind of a fad is YouTube. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, Oh, okay. And being someone who allows this to, you know, this is something that uh, enables me to, to make a living, you know, so I'm either part of the problem or a beneficiary of the problem. Um, But, and again, tying into what Shannon said, how many times have we had discussions about so-and-so essentially people thinking that so-and-so invented this thing when the people who are watching, all they've gone is through YouTube. So they don't actually know that this thing is an age-old technique. Or, And I'm guilty of this as well, or being on the receiving end of this, when I come up with something and someone thinks that I invented it. Or someone thinks that William Ng invented the five-cut method. You know, like it, it, And I've seen that numerous times. How many things have been attributed to Paul Sellers? that that have been around for a very long time not enough things not enough let's keep doing more <laughs> i mean did you know that mac cremona invented the slab he did i did I it's true that. it's true well, that was common knowledge <clears throat> but i think what's happening one of the best things is that awareness is growing more people are getting involved people who might never even pick up a woodworking tool are doing that and getting creative and doing stuff it's all good but the negative side is a lot of these people aren't going any deeper then what's being fed to them online. So then they, they truly think that so-and-so is the inventor of such and such technique. Uh, and it's, it's a little bit weird. And I think it's it, that, it, I guess you, I wouldn't call it a fad, but it's something that annoys me. <laughs> and Mark, remember when you invented the woodworking video? That's true. I did invent that. I also invented the cutting board. <laughs> That's true. I invented hybrid woodworking, <laughs> that, which yeah, is probably what I'll be best That's... known for. Uh, let's see what other things have I invented? Yeah, it's and wigs in the shop, lingerie, in <laughs> cross-dressing the shop. in the shop. Yeah. <laughs> I will take credit for that. You don't have a lot of followers on that one. Though. For some reason, <laughs> goodness, I, I tried to do it with authority like Schwarz would, but it, it just didn't no, go. Not so much, huh? <laughs> no. <laughs> so that that's mine. Uh, what do you got, Matt? Um, I don't know if there's so much a fad or I don't know. It's just something I found uh, interesting and kind of annoying. We um, broaden the umbrella to that a little bit here. I'm, I'm going to go with. I'm, 
something that's kind of weird that's just weird and kind of annoying is i guess beginners who get on the internet and only see like the fancy advanced way of doing things and then they don't realize that it's actually can be done a lot easier mm-hmm. so like the, the best example of this is the domino like I feel like all these beginners and new people getting into this, they go like on Instagram or whatever, they see all these pictures of, or videos of people using the domino to make these fancy things that they're just, they're domino joints. That's the only word for it. It's a domino joint. Mm-hmm. Then you're like, no, I can do it with a router cutting two mortises. Now it's a loose tenon. That's a domino joint. No, that's a loose tenon. It's not a domino joint. <laughs> Did this come but, up for you with the waterfall miter? Oh yes, like joints. I'm wondering yes. where the, where this is coming from. Yes, that came from that. Yes, as well as you do, you can you can do that joint with a regular circular saw and an edge guide. You don't need a track saw. Right, right. That also blew people's mind too. Okay. I'm like, okay. I don't know. I just thought it was kind of weird because like it's not their fault. They're just exposed to all of these larger people online that are using these know, fancier tools, fancier methods to do these things. Mm-hmm. They don't realize that that fancier method evolved from this more basic, less efficient, let's say, method of doing things that has been done for a long time. Well, I think, I think what you and I are talking about, it's rooted in the same thing. And I, I think the, oh, weird, I agree. the weird problem yeah. with it is this medium didn't exist not too long ago. So if you go yeah, all you the way back... It, think about all the crap that Norm Abrams got. Because he had a wide belt sander in his shop. Right. Oh my god. Well, I could do that too. Every you know? time I have a flattening video <laughs> with the router, it's like, why don't you just do it with the wide belt? Right. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'll just turn around and uh, yeah, I keep, I keep like, it in my okay kitchen now. Like everyone has wide belts now, which apparently, like some of the larger people that might be sharing stuff on Instagram, they do because they're operating like actual production shops. Yeah, it's like a major facility. But and... that's what people see. I'm like, I'm in a two car garage. I'm trying to like produce some content to show people that you can do this without a wide belt, but I get that you could use a wide belt. I don't know what to tell you. But I think <laughs> because, because this medium actually only dates back to like 2005, 2006, that's where the history stops. So it's unlike, <laughs> unlike let's say you're reading a magazine. Uh, if you are a magazine reader, you might be inclined to go buy a book or dig a little bit deeper and find some other publication because that that's the same similar medium. Uh, but if all you do is learn via video online blogs and things like that, you may never be inclined to go any deeper than that medium will, will provide for you. And that means you're going no deeper than 2006. So all the people who, who I learned from and you know, you guys maybe researched and learned from and uh, people listening to this, you know, the, the Krenovs, the uh, you know, that's all that's coming to mind right now. Nakashima doing a live show, uh, Nakashima's and, and even deeper than those guys, like one level beyond that, that's going to be lost or it has, has a uh, potential to be completely lost because there's, it's not part of the current medium that people use a little bit sad. Yeah. Okay. I like this topic. I think we could dedicate a whole show, which is called the Grumpy Old Men episode. Yeah, we're, we're almost doing that right now. I haven't even gotten started on high angle frogs. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. So let's try to move things along. Uh, what's the next one? Shannon, I think you have that one. Sure. This is from Billy. He says, I do a lot of driving for work. You break the monotony quite well. <clears throat> I often feel I'm in a traveling school. Early on. <laughs> wow. Oh. Early on, when just getting started in woodworking, and occasionally still, I jot down notes when I haven't a clue as to what you're talking about. Later, <laughs> look it up that evening. I've learned that a shooting board is not what you sight your guns in, in on prior to deer hunting season. <laughs> a butt joint is not a derogatory term for an annoying stoner dude in high school. And bridle, with an A, B-R-I-D-A-L, joints, are not what wedding parties in Washington and Colorado move on to when they want something stronger than champagne. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Nice. (laughs) Thanks for the education, guys. So, my question. I wanted to ask for a while is related to PBS's Woodsmith Shop. And what is your take on the program, as I have never heard them mentioned in any Wood Talk episodes, to my knowledge? I know they're not finer woodworking and use plywood and pocket screws. There we go. Um, and have several decades, but have several decades under their belt. Yet I don't see them involved in any woodworking community, shows or social media outlets that I'm aware of. Are they just the disliked in-law the family doesn't bring up at holidays? The butt joint we avoid in the hall between classes? 
Thoughts? <laughs> They're the it's drunk uncle. <laughs> right? The woodsmith shop. They're right. They don't like they don't participate in anything. But that's like, they're just, totally by choice. Yeah. Like to say it's that it. they're kind of the, you know, the, the, I don't know. What did he call it? Not the redheaded stepchild. <laughs> like but disliked in-law. The disliked in-law that implies that they're not welcome. And that's not what it is at all. They're uh, who, whoever makes the decisions over there, the individuals that are behind the production that are involved in it are choosing not to be a presence. Are not, they on social at all? I'm sure they, someone in the group, like, like if you look at like the, this old house guys, they each have Twitter accounts and they seem to be somewhat active. I don't know if they are. That's a real good question. I assume uh, that who, what's his name? They just keep sending me emails to buy their plans <laughs> right. or whatever. But I think Bill, Billy might know more about this than us. If he hasn't seen any presence online, then maybe they don't, or at least not a strong mm-hmm. presence. But that's a I choice. I don't even get the show anymore. So I mean, my PBS has dropped all woodworking programming. I've so. never seen it. Well, and here's the other thing: if you want to know why we're not talking about it, is to be quite honest to the people that listen to this show, it's not really that relevant. Um, most people are watching content online. And PBS woodworking shows, while it can still be fun and for nostalgia, I like to sit down and watch once in a while if I actually have a few minutes to myself on a weekend. I will sit down and and try to catch and see if there's anything that recorded on my TiVo from a local PBS station. Uh, And and most of the time there isn't something there. (laughs) So I think the world has moved well beyond TV woodworking shows. And I, I don't think it's a relevant topic anymore. And I know Vanderlist and I, in the past, if you want to go back years, have talked about woodworking shows on TV when it was more relevant. Um, but yeah. I think if you say woodsmith shop to most of the people who listen to this, they're going to say, what now? What, what, what's the URL is what they're going to say. Yeah. <laughs> Where's their- You can say the same thing about Scott Phillips. Right. I mean, what is this show called? I can't remember now. Um, Isn't it just woodworking with Scott Phillips or something? Uh, the American, American Craftsman something. Workshop yeah, or something? Yeah. No, that's another one. I think something. is it still on? I don't know. It is. Yeah, it is. I, stuff that, on Facebook. About that it. is one of the shows that my TiVo records. <laughs> and what's great about it, and everyone who watches the show, and I, I love Scott Phillips. Uh, I've I've met him in person. He's a great guy. But he loves to talk over his machines <laughs> while <laughs> they're running. <laughs> So instead of doing <laughs> that good, that's that is, impression. That is true. Instead of doing a little bit of editing, what you want to do is like, it's it's one of the most annoying things, and it might just be because I'm <laughs> someone who makes I, content. He's really yelling through his desk mask too. So it's a real easy thing to do if you can't put out a thing. Yeah. So other than that, <laughs> that must be like. I don't, they must have like oh the budget, the budget edit department or something. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you're doing a really fast production, you don't necessarily have time to sit down and, and do all. I, I know how much faster it is to edit a video where you literally don't have to like layer anything. Exactly, where you're just cutting stuff together. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it edits a lot. <laughs> when I was recording with um, with Anne and and Daryl recently, it was one of the first things I told them. Like, I waited for them to do it because I'm not going to correct them unless they do it. As they started talking, as like a router is winding down or a bandsaw is winding down, I would stop them and say, "Never do that." <laughs> <laughs> never do that do not talk slap on the head yeah do not ever talk over a machine we have the technology to do avoid that, doing that <laughs> <laughs> so but ultimately if you've ever seen the woodsmith shop it actually is a, a a good show in terms of like the information uh the way they script it is really odd it's a bunch of guys who know what they're talking about talking to each other as if they don't know what they're talking about. Oh, yeah. yes. Right? Like where yes. the one where the one guy is giving the information and the other guy who also is skillful and knows that information has to act like he doesn't know that information. Like, those leading questions. <clears throat> well, now, and we like Mark, what exactly is a tenant? Yeah, and I'd be like uh, Shannon, why are you asking me this? <laughs> I know you know what a tenant is, you know, so the the way they yeah, script but the I've show. Been drinking. <laughs> Well, I'm drunk right now, so (laughs) (laughs) it's a really weird way that they do it. But still, it's woodworking, it's information, and it's not costing you anything because it's on PBS. So I mean, you can't complain about it. it, I think it fits well. And granted, I haven't looked at their magazine in a while. I haven't looked at any magazine in a while, but it fits their magazine. They were always the like the faux through tenon, you know, design. Sure. screw things together and then, you know, put the little tenon on the outside and, and Hey, it's perfectly legitimate. And I think that 
you know, they probably started the show as a way to sell magazines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure definitely. Now. Well, and I, and I do want to, I do want to clarify when I say something's not relevant, I mean on like in the big picture, right? Uh, I don't want to sound uh, derogatory in any way or say anything bad about the shows or people who make a living uh, doing this stuff on TV. I'm just talking about the general populace, the the mass people who we talk to on a daily basis and, and uh, you know, interact with online TV and woodworking. They're irrelevant for the most part. If you can catch a show, it's great, but it is not a main uh, source of content. Everything else is online these days. So Those millennials don't even have cable yeah. or TV access or whatever. Exactly. It's not on Hulu or whatever. Do you whatever. even have a TV? Say Mark lost me when he said TiVo. So I was... Yo, here's the thing. I bought TiVos so long ago and they just work and I have over-the-air broadcasts. So why not keep them? Otherwise, you know, I got to pay extra money on Hulu and stuff. There's still stuff I can get live. And I already paid yeah. for the TiVo. So I'm not, it's not costing me anything. Cutting that cord, baby. It's the best thing I've ever done. Okay. Anyway... Where are we? You. Oh, me. You're next. Okay. So this is from Will. He says, hey, guys, thanks for not quitting and all that jazz. I have a question about carcass miters. I need to make about 20 boxes with miter joints for the carcasses. My tilt box gauge seems to be totally out of whack. uh, And even though it says my table saw is 45 degrees, the cut wasn't right. I saw an article on making a shooting board specifically for carcass miters but was wondering if you had any tricks of the trade for getting it right before needing a shooting board. Okay. Nope. I bring this up. <laughs> I bring this up because I tackled this joint when I photographed pictures for the new book that I'm doing on, on joinery. It was something we felt that needed to be in there, but I told uh, Mr. Matthew Teague that this is my absolute least favorite joint to cut on the planet. I I don't like it. It doesn't ever really come out the way I want it to. I fight it all the time. So I'm right there with you. And the reason I brought this up was to kind of push it to Matt (laughs) a little bit. (laughs) What? (laughs) Mr. Waterfall, Cremona. Because I was... No, no, no. You can't push it on. The waterfall joint is totally different. Not really. It's totally different because it doesn't have to meet up at all. It could be any angle. It doesn't matter what the angle ends up being. As long yeah. as it closes, well, now the you leg is going to be perfectly square yeah. to the floor. But you don't want stuff sliding off the top of the table because you could get such an angle. Yes, you but, can fix that later by trimming the bottom square and straight. Okay, fine, Mark. You can, but you can I do feel I do feel that there are some common things that can be done to refine <laughs> the forty-five degree joint, like oh. you did with your waterfall <laughs> joint. Even if you are weird and don't care about the angle. Maybe okay. I need more leading questions than that. Come on. <laughs> All right. Well, let me tell you what I do. Um, Hope me, you, you know where you want me to go with this. I do. Hope me down the road. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to drag you kicking and screaming regardless. <laughs> uh, it, I, I can tell you the way that I've done this. I, it, don't trust the gauge, make a couple of test cuts and then use a square, right? That's how you want to determine whether your blade is cutting. And I think if you do that, that's at least going to set you off on the right path. Even if the result of the cut is maybe a little burned or a little, you know, not perfect. And you might have to do a little bit of shooting on it, but at least start there by measuring the the resulting cuts from the work itself and not worrying so much about what your dial indicator or whatever it is that you're using to measure um, the, the angle of the blade itself. So I'm going to say that as a starting point to help you get there. So Matt, do you have any do you have any tips or anything regarding this joint? Is there something you want me to say? Yeah. Well, I saw you with the hand plane, and you kind of had a guide there as you were working the forty five ish degree edge. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there's something yeah. to that. Yeah, I, I when I did that one, I pl- when I did them all, I guess the two I've done so far, I planed the I guess it's the end grain or the actual. Um, beveled edge of the or the beveled end of the board to get it into the right angle. So I not only checked that the cut was straight with a straight edge, but I also went in there and checked it at multiple spots throughout its length to make sure it was at the right angle. Which in my case, I didn't care what the angle was. I made sure that it was the same angle all the way down the board, so it didn't have a twist in it. Uh, I think one thing I'll mention too in the back of my mind is we're talking about doing a carcass out of all all mitered like that. It's actually kind of more of a compound angle cut 
in one case, you're trying to bevel it at exactly 45 degrees, but you also have to make sure that you're actually cutting it at exactly 90 degrees. Because right. if you're getting all different <laughs> yeah. sides, like a little bit out of 90, that's you're going to put some kind of weird geometry into that case, mm-hmm. and it's probably not going to come out very well for you. Yeah, that's a good like point. If that cuts like a degree out or whatever, I don't know what the real resulting geometry would be, but it's probably you're going to have some problems getting things to close up and getting like the one face to be flat or whatever mm-hmm. front face of the case. But I imagine most people initially are mostly concerned about that, uh, tilt of the blade and not yeah. thinking quite what, as that much. That would be like my least concern or yeah. my secondary concern to actually being perfectly square. Yeah. Super good point. I think if I were doing the quantity he's doing, I definitely would set up some kind of a shooting board for this, especially yeah. if you need to hit that 45, it's a pain in the butt. And a shooting board, at least if you get the shooting board set up properly, you're going to know, you know, once you take a few passes there, you just clean it up a little bit. Everything should be okay. The other thing, too, I mentioned on the table saw, if you're cutting a bevel, it, the blade could push the the workpiece a little bit as you're cutting it, too. So it was not totally clamped in place to not move. And that, if that board moves a little bit throughout the cut, it's going to come off wrong as well. Game or over, the sucker. not sitting... If it's not sitting flat on the table either, because any kind of bow or cup in the board, mm-hmm. it's not going to be 45 degrees either. Give me some other weird angle. Well, and the thing is, is if you've got <clears throat> if you've got a, a tuned, well tuned shooting board for this, you're going to be shocked at just how your quote perfect joint actually wasn't. You know, and you'll see the the plane taking these shavings, and you'll start. And actually, what I see more than anything is is what Matt's talking about. That off ninety shows up faster than the actual angle. Mm-hmm. So it's taking more off at, say, the bottom of the board than it is the top of the board, and it's bringing that angle back into 90 degrees. But, you know, you're going to end up with just a better joint because you shot it that way. Um, so you don't have to worry so much about the any burning or the quality of the cut coming from this. And because you've got 20 of them to do, yeah, you're going to want something to, to refine that. Oh, show. All right, Matt, let's wrap it up with this last question. Boom. It's from Cody. What is your guy's opinion on an end grain tabletop? Thoughts, or is this just a bad idea? Oh. I don't know. I don't, know. I don't have a strong opinion about this other than what, like, in the back of my mind tells me is bad with this idea, like the weakness mm-hmm. that's inherently there with it being end grain. So I, you, have, you would have to have a pretty thick top for me to feel pretty conf- confident with how strong it is. That if like I an actual butcher block top, right? Yeah, like you can't make a <laughs> twelve one, inches thick. It'll be nice and stable. <laughs> you just think like, oh, even though what kind of base you have, it's not fully supported under there. If like, I don't know what I got up there, and I jumped on it or I fell on it or something, I went right through it. <laughs> you would almost need it. like some kind of a substructure for this thing to be yeah. laid up on. Yeah, think of it as almost <laughs> like a veneer, like a half inch thick veneer of ingrain pieces. Yeah. <laughs> On top of a plywood substrate. Yeah. You know, I'm, I mean, they look cool. Everybody like always wants these giant round cookies, like six foot diameter round tabletop made of a cookie. But I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. There was a guy I was talking to one time. He was trying to bring a product to market. I don't know if he ever succeeded, but what he was doing was cutting end grain, like basically making an end grain cutting board and then slicing that into veneers and I don't know what adhesive he used for it, but bonding it to, you know, the, um, uh, they're, they're almost like really rigid cardboard, uh, those thin cutting boards that they make for the kitchen. So yeah. I, I don't know what the material is called, but it, it basically adhering it to that as the core. So the whole thing just looks like a very thin, but extremely durable end grain cutting board, but it's actually just a veneer on that top layer was a pretty cool idea. And like I said, I don't know if you ever brought it to market, but it springs to mind this concept of getting that end grain look, but not having to have the inherent problems that come with the end grain. Well, actually like Matt's talking about the, the, like the round cookie type table. Mm -hmm. Um, If you go to, you know, pick your favorite chain store, like a pier one or a crate and barrel or something like that, you'll see a lot of those. They're very popular. Nine times out of 10, it's veneered. Yeah. There is a there is a very thin veneer <laughs> substrate, and in in many instances they don't even try to hide it. Like the edge is just painted, you know. Um, and if you look close, it's MDF or something along that line. With, and I might even be surprised if it was actually not wood veneer, but a like a photo. Yeah, like they do with laminate it's kind form of now, yeah. which is just you know a photo printer, high quality, oh. and, and and it's usually dark. 
So, you know, the, the grain is kind of mighty anyway under the stain. And yeah, nine times out of 10, it's not actually an ingrain cookie. Yeah. Done that. <laughs> Crazy. Well, good stuff. Can you think of any instance where you, where this would work? I mean, I know people do it for countertops, but countertops are looking at a good amount of like, there's periodic support and you could probably build in unseen support for it mm. where that could work. But with a tabletop, I, like unless you're willing to do that and have an, a, a big support structure or webbing well, underneath. Just, just think about like if you're doing like a regular dining table with an apron. Yeah. What if someone sits on the edge? Snap. Yeah. <laughs> or it's not where it's overhung, you know? Yeah. And you just snap off part of your table. It's all just one giant weak point. It's kind of weird. I'm sure then someone everyone will do would a test think your Chuck Norris strong. That's right. Hey, watch yeah, this. That's how I convince my son he's really strong is, is let him break boards. They're all oriented. <laughs> like they do in karate yeah. classes, right? Figure out karate, yes. What I yeah. want to do is be the guy who substitutes in a, a real board and has the kid try and chop it across the grain. <laughs> just, uh, put a piece of plywood in there. Yeah. There you go. Watch him break his hand. I think that'd be great. All right. That's mean. You're terrible, Cremona. I know. I know that. I knew that. Thing. All right. We all know this. I think we're going to call that a show and I think you can give them the contact info, Shannon, and then I think we can get out of here. All right. If you want to send us stuff to talk about comments or topic suggestions, please do. We love to hear from you. This whole show was basically from you. Thank Thanks you. for us to hate on. Yeah. <laughs> we love to let the hate flow. We do. So uh, please send us a voicemail. Use your voice memo app on your fancy smartphone uh, send it to woodtalkonline at gmail.com or just write us a message. Go to woodtalkshow.com slash contact. There's a pretty form there you can fill out and make sure you hit submit or we won't get it. And even if you do hit submit, we may not get to it. Look at the <laughs> Don't tell me that. Well, sorry. Have you seen the form <laughs> lately? There's like 800 don't, things in there. It's fine. <laughs> they don't need to know that. So yeah, make it good so that we can see it amongst the 800 others that are there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. It's very demotivating. Otherwise, you can find us. We're around Instagram, Facebook, the tweeters. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. I guess we will catch you next week. Maybe. Hey, maybe. Yeah. Uh, if we don't quit. I'll never know. we got to keep that quitting <laughs> thing out there. <laughs> Not quitting since 2017. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.